Good morning, church. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you please stand with me if you are able, we'll come together and worship God through song. Above it all, 
Thank you. Please be seated. Good morning. Glad to have you all here today. We want to be able to uh, worship God and praise Him and rejoice and celebrate, and so we're glad that you're here today to help us to do that. Let's bow together as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be out today. The day is beautiful on the outside. We pray that as we gather here in your house, we might rejoice together as we praise you. We sing about praises, sing about your name and your wonderful works. We pray especially for Pastor Cliff as he brings us your word, that he might share with us what you want us to know from your scripture and from your heart, that we might be able to do what you would have us to do. We ask that in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. One thing I'm supposed to make sure I do, and I've got to do it now before I forget, and that is to remind you that we have a special call, excuse me, a business meeting after church today. So if you're here in the house, those of you at home won't have to do that. If you're here in the house today, we want you to stay afterwards so we can have that business meeting. Now, this is October. What is October? Pastor Appreciation. Uh, you had a little cheater here, but <laughs> we wanted to be able to uh, give something to Pastor Cliff to share with him our joy and our appreciation of him. And he's very hard to buy anything for. And he, anything he wants, he's already got. Anything we could think of, he's already got. So we asked him personally at the deacons meeting a couple months ago, what would you like to have? And he said, well, hmm. Lisa said she'd like to see the ark. <laughs> and so we thought, if Lisa's behind it, maybe he'll really go do it. So. We had our resident uh, woodworker, John Warren, make us a box that's got a nice little arc on the front, and it's got the scripture here on top. Got a hole in the top, and I think you're supposed to put money in there. So what we'd like to ask you to do throughout the, the rest of this month, maybe first Sunday of November, is to make your contribution to give Pastor and Lisa some money to, to spend to take some time away. How long? Well, I can't say how long they're going to be gone. We can tell them, but... You never know what's going to happen. So we'd like for you to take your money. If you fold it up if you need to, then you can drop it right in there. If you need to write a check, make it out to the church. Do the same thing. Fold it up, drop it in there. And Nick, our treasurer, will take care of all that each week. And we'll make the contribution. We'll let you know what happens. And then Pastor will, and Lisa will let us know about what happens when they get back and how enjoyable and exciting the ark and the museum and whatever else they go to do will do. Pastor had a good report this week. Alicia had a good report this week. Alicia had a really good comment about a great vacation with all those good things happening. And so we thank the Lord for that and pray that he'll be with them for time and on into the future. Okay, and we're glad to have you here today as we worship together today. Uh, Pastor, we need to move this box so you can have room to move. Okay, I'll do that. Adam? I need to put up a stool when people have to come do announcements. They're going to use my microphone. <laughs> so I can move everything back. I'm not picking on you, Richard. I'm sorry. All right. Please stand with me if you're able. Let's continue to worship God singing his praises. delight to bring him praise. 
earth, we will lift our eyes to Him. With steady arms of mercy reach to gather children in. Rejoice, rejoice, let every tongue rejoice.
body bound and dressed in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance by heavy stone, Messiah sealed and all We're going to be back in Ezekiel today. We're going to be back in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, We're going to start in Ezekiel chapter 8, and we're going to run through Ezekiel chapter 11. Last week, you guys had the the pleasure of having Mark Emerson come and preach to you, and it was good. We were at home watching online and enjoyed that. Mark brought the word. I hope that that still sticks with you, okay, that that church strong. 
because that's what we need to be. In, in light of what's going on, we need to be that. So here we are in Ezekiel chapter 8. So if we follow the story of Ezekiel, and we follow, Ezekiel's one of those things where he has some, he dates things. So Ezekiel was taken captive in, in 597. He was deported from Jerusalem by the Babylonians, and he ends up in Babylon. And that's where we pick up in 593, I think it's in the summer of 593, that we pick up the, uh, the first vision that he has. Remember, that's that powerful wheels that's going on. That powerful wheel vision and uh, the burning man and the glory of God. And the idea was that, that, that before God called him to do something, he wanted to make sure that he knew who God was. And I think that's the way that, that I kind of frame that for us. Is we want to understand a bigger picture of who God is because we sell God way short. So that's the vision we have here. And then we, here we're in, this is 592. It's about 11 or 13 months later that this vision comes. Going back a couple weeks, remember God called Ezekiel to lay on his side by a brick make a model of a rampart and you know who who went home and tried that out <laughs> you called it a nap okay but he actually did that he actually did that and he laid on his side and he and he didn't lay there the whole time but he he would get up and down and and you know honey what are you gonna do today i'm gonna lay him aside i'm gonna lay him one side i'm gonna lay on the other side and if i understand this correct and this is in the notes in your in the Bible app, if you follow along with that, you get home, look at the notes. It talks about this. He's about, this vision, they figure, comes about 10 days prior to him being done. 10 days prior to him doing. So he's still, what are you going to get up to do today? I'm going to get up and I'm going to lay on my side and represent the siege of Jerusalem. I'm going to lay that out so people can see. Interesting, and we're going to read that when this vision happens. There are people at Ezekiel's house. So this vision that seems so very strange, this, this prophecy that he had to act out before the people seemed so strange. He had actually, over the course of a, over a year, had gathered an audience, and there's, they are there at the house. We're going to read that in the beginning of chapter 8. They're also there at the end of chapter 11. So, this is one wild ride. That's all I can say. This is one wild ride. Ezekiel is in Babylon, in his house. This summer, I, 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 got a, I, got a, I had lunch with a friend. My friend owns a Corvette. He brought the Corvette and then forced me to drive it. You know, when they asked me, what would you like? I'm thinking, well, Corvette, but that's maybe a little too much, right? <laughs> okay, but, but, but that was way super cool to, to drive one of those brand new C8 Corvettes. I mean, I, I hadn't been in a Corvette in, in a while, but to have ridden in the new one, to drive the new one, and for him to, to stop me and say, stop it. And I'm like, okay, what did I do wrong? He says, you're driving like an old man. He said, punch it, okay? So we got the 60. Anyway, this ride 
that Ezekiel takes is far beyond that. I want you to understand that. Now, it's a vision, so there's discussion over if he, if he stays put. Apparently, he stays put. But, but he's caught up in a vision. That's always, that always complicates things. Like John's vision and revelation. What does that mean that he saw this and he stood before the Lord? What does this mean for Ezekiel that he saw these things? So we're going to pick it up there in the first verse of chapter 8. It came about in the sixth year on the fifth day of the sixth month as I was sitting in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me that the hand of the Lord God fell on me there. Then I looked and behold the likeness as the appearance of a man from his lines and downwards was the appearance of fire and from his lines and upward the appearance of brightness like the appearance of glowing metal. He stretched out the form of a hand and caught me by a lock of my head and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court where the seat of the idol of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy, was located. And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel was there like the appearance which I saw in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, raise your eyes now toward the north. So I raised my eyes toward the north, and behold, to the north of the altar gate was the idol of jealousy at the entrance. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations which the house of Israel are committing here, so that I would be far from my sanctuary? But yet you will see greater abominations. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court, and, I, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, now dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall, and behold, an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations that, are, that they are committing here. So I entered and looked, and behold, every form of creeping things, of beasts and detestable things, which all, with all the idols of the house of Israel, were carved on the wall all around. Standing in front of them were 70 elders of the house of Israel, from Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them, each man with his censer in his hand, and the fragrance of the cloud of incense rising. Then he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark, each man in the room of his carved images? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Yet you will still see, you will still, you will see still greater abominations which they are committing. Now, the rest of the chapter 8 goes on and talks about that. Now, I, I will tell you that I remember this from the time that I first started paying attention to the preacher. Okay, it, it was probably sometime along the line that I was getting called to the ministry. I actually started paying attention to the preacher. And I remember him talking about this vision in Ezekiel. Why? Because it caught my attention because... Of the darkness of it. You know, crawl through the wall and into this room and see the horrible things that they are committing. And it's not just, it, it, it's people that you would expect to be doing otherwise. Now to complicate that as I walk through this, you know, now with many, many years 
of experience behind me and, and much more knowledge of the Bible. When I, when I read through this, and you can do this a little bit later, but read through it in the message, because it, it, that idol of jealousy, it names as, as the ashram, the Diana, that kind of thing, gives a name to it. That's set up in God's house. The carvings on the wall, they belong to the, they are the gods of, of Egypt, is how they term that. Do you understand what's going on here? The gods that couldn't hold them back, the gods that God overpowered, is now the gods that the leaders of Israel, the leaders of Judah, the leaders that are supposed to be taking them to the cross, so to speak, to God, are the ones that we find worshiping the idols. Is that ugly? That ought to be ugly. That ought to hurt. And, and when, I, when I look at that and I think about that, and I remember way back, we're talking 30, 40 years ago, I'm thinking, what are our leaders like? Because I didn't know our leaders real well because I was just a kid in the, in the youth class or in the college class. So I didn't know that. I'm, I'm listening to this. I'm going, I hope, I hope this is not us. But this is, this is the story. Let's, this is the problem. The idolatry is going on. Now I want you to understand, think about it in this term. Ezekiel was training in the temple before he got deported. These names that you would read and the faces that he sees may be familiar faces to him. He may know these people. That's the kind of picture that I, that I, I get in that. And I don't know that, that, that what he saw was what he was seeing now. Because guess what? Oftentimes, everything looks normal. When you read through the 11 chapters and you kind of see the give and take on what Ezekiel's doing, it is like an everyday life in, in Jerusalem where, where, where these guys are going around saying everything is, is normal. But what we get to see in Ezekiel chapter 8 and what oftentimes the Scripture does is it takes the cover off and lets us see it like God sees us. Sees. We may look at the scene and the situation differently than God did, but guess whose view counts? His view counts. And so when we get that view that he wants, he wants to reveal that to us so that we understand why he does the things that he does why he's reaching into these people, why the punishment is coming, because these people's hearts are not where they need to be. They're not seeking after God. They're seeking after the gods of the world. They're putting their trust in the things they ought not to be putting their trust in. And so when, when I ask that question, here's the idolatry by the leaders, and it's by the people. The question is of you and I, just simply, if God were to peel the cover back, where would our trust be? Where would our trust be? Where, where would we be looking for the deliverance and the help 
in this dire situation. And I, and I say that not to, not to shame any of us, not to guilt us, but because I want us to get it right. I want to get it right. I don't want somebody, I don't want to be standing there and, and, and doing the wrong thing and God's revealing that to somebody else. This is your leader. And his trust is in the wrong place. I want to get that right. We're going to read on in Ezekiel 9, 4 and 5. The Word said to him, so, so after this revealing of the abominations this went on, then we see that this is similar to the, the death angel in the Exodus experience. Because we're going to see some that are marked and some that are not. The ones that are not marked, guess what happens? Just like in the Exodus experience, life is taken. The Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said, in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. So that's what we got to... This is the result of the abominations. When we talk about it, this is, you know, the Bible lays it out pretty simple. All the way through it. It's consistent. Here's sin. Here's the penalty for sin. Or here's the results of sin. This, if you continue to sin, God is going to respond in some way. And so this is exactly what God does in the ninth chapter. We see in the eighth chapter the sin. We see the abominations. We see the wrong. We see the evil. We see the idolatry. God doesn't let that go by. God has worked to try. And guess who's in Jerusalem while Ezekiel's visiting? One of the other great prophets by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not on a vacation. Jeremiah has been speaking God's word to these very people to do what? So that they would respond. They haven't responded and they continue in their path in idolatry. And so God has this judgment on them. He marks those out that groan over the abominations. In other words, they're not happy with the leadership and where they are putting their trust and where they are leading the people. They can't change the leaders, but they're not going to follow the leaders. They're going to groan over that. Do you, do you see that? Do you see the parallel in our own world today? Because guess what? There's a world out there that's putting their faith and their trust in the wrong things. They're finding satisfaction and joy in the wrong places. They're not looking to serve God. They're about serving themselves. Now you can and I can respond in one or two ways if we put it at its base. We can join in and follow the crowd or we can groan over the atrocities because we know God hasn't pulled the cover off of it, but we know from past pullings of the coverings off that it's ugly. And we don't want that ugliness. We don't want to become part of that ugliness. We also don't want to become part of the judgment that's coming for that behavior. It needs to be real to us. 
And it was real. It's nice to see that in this, in this uncovering these horrible abominations and the idolatry, that as I move into the ninth chapter, there's somebody that's groaning about this and saying, stop it, people. There's somebody that's reading their word. There's somebody that's listening to Jeremiah, and they get it. That, re- that rejoices. When I, when I come to church, and I, and I see you guys, it means I believe that you're groaning with me over the atrocities of our world. And it's nice to know that you're not in it alone. And that reminder that, that Ezekiel is he's laying out this prophecy back in in, in, in Babylon, that there are people back here that are not satisfied with departing from God. As we go on in the, the, the 10th chapter, we see the glory of the Lord departing the temple. It is, just to, to kind of give you my Reader's Digest version of that, um, God comes back to the temple, packs his things, and moves out of the office. You realize how sad that is. It, it is. it is that the judgment's coming in 586. The walls go down. The temple goes down. God knows it's coming because God's bringing it. And at this point, God has packed up these things. And He's left. I don't know how to, to, to wrestle with that idea, but I never want to experience it. Ezekiel is prophesying. A man by Pelatiah who stands opposed to anything that Jeremiah or Ezekiel, anything that God would say. He dies on the spot. He represents everything that stood against God. And he represents everything that will happen to those that stand against God. We're going to pick it up in the 11th chapter, a little further down, 19 and 20. I believe that you will recognize these verses. You will recognize these verses. And as I read through this, understand this is, this is the beauty of, of God's plan. God didn't get all the way through the Old Testament and scrap it and say, okay, that, none of that worked. God was at work with His plan all the way through the Old Testament. And so what we're going to read here is what they call Messianic prophecy. What Messianic means is that it's tied into Jesus. Let's say that again. Messianic prophecy means it's tied into who is Alive, right? Risen from the grave. We struggle with sin. We struggle with... When you read this in Ezekiel and you understand the parallel to our times, the mirror that it sometimes be, it's, it's nice to have the hope in the midst of that. Because I, I, when I look at the situation of those people, when you look at that situation, don't you want things fixed? Don't you hope you got it fixed? So here it is in 19th verse. You can read around that a little bit later this afternoon. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh 
and give them a heart of flesh. Now, back up there so we can just camp there for a minute. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. What are you thinking, guys? Holy Spirit, Jesus continued, and I will take the stone, the heart of stone out of their flesh. Now, I don't know about you, I just had surgery. They went in robotically and removed part of me. It's the second time. I've been asleep both times, so I didn't see it. But I think that they go in there gently because they, they, they schedule like four hours to take a quarter out of you. you know. And so, so they go in there and gently take that out. When I read this, that I will take the heart of stone out of the flesh. You know, honestly, what, I want, what I'm picturing in my head is God's mighty hand ripping in and ripping it out. I want it out. And then I want him as fast as he took that one out but to put that heart of flesh back in. That's what I want to see happen in my head. That's a vision that I got because I don't want that heart of stone because that heart of stone was cold to God. I want that heart of flesh that pumps Jesus through it. 20th verse. That they may walk in my statutes. Do you understand why we need this heart of flesh? And keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. Let's read that together. They, then shall, then they will, excuse me, let's start there. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. Amen, right? This is the goal that we're trying to get to. This is the goal. You know, it doesn't happen immediately, right? Because when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we start, it's a new birth. We're like babes in Christ. And that, they, they, it's, it's a fancy word for growing up. It's called sanctification. Sanctification means we start that process to become more like Christ every day. That we grow up and mature. That's what he's looking for. The, the goal is to have a heart to love, serve, and follow God. What's your heart condition? I mean, are these your top priorities? I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just I'm being honest, because sometimes life gets in the way of where a heart ought to be. And it's time to do a little heart check. I, I love that because they would be identified as God's people. What's, what's the thing you hang your hat on? Your accomplishments? Your family name? Your title. I mean, I get to be pastor. They ask me sometimes whether I really want to be referred to as pastor or reverend. I think it's pastor because I can spell it. <laughs> Don't let anybody. But isn't this where we ought to be hanging our hat? Is it we are a child of God? 
that we are his people. So we don't want to hang my hat out and not someplace else. We're going to read the last verse, the last two verses of chapter 11. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea. So the vision that I had seen left me. Then I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had showed me. What a wild ride, right? It was more than a road trip, more than a journey. And you know, as I'm sitting there, I don't know how you feel about that. But he was sitting there in his house with the elders of Israel, of Judah, that had come to be at his house to watch his daily routine of laying on his side, eating the, the, the rations that he had. And while they're sitting there with him, he's not there. It appears that his body stayed. So they were just staring at a body that for however long this vision took. I mean, God could have pulled that off in a short time or three chapters of reading the Bible. But it wasn't about getting from Chaldea or Babylon to Jerusalem. It's about what he saw. The destination really was the journey. And he gets to share that with those men who had come to his house. The situation of their counterparts who were back in Jerusalem and the sad spiritual state that it was. I wonder if, if, I'm, if, if I have a little bit of um, literary freedom here as he begins to recount the story of the abominations, of the glory of the Lord departing, of the heart of stone, of the heart of flesh. If, if, as they listen to the story, those elders, like those that stood before Jesus with the woman who had been caught in adultery, began to reflect on their own spiritual condition and left and sought to change it, right? That's the idea. Not only did they hear the story, but the story would move them to the right place. That's the action steps today, is to take what we just read here and to put into play in our own life. What does God see? Be careful how you ask that. But you want the truth, right? How does God see your life, my life, our church, our leadership, our people? You know, we are the light to the world, and if we're doing the same thing that they're doing, we ain't much light. What's God see? Am I groaning when I see things that are excuse me, contrary to God's ways and God's words? 
Am I groaning about this or saying, hallelujah, it's about time we opened up the door? I, you know, we need to be the ones groaning. We need to be the ones. You, you, it's okay to sound like you're grumpy and you're old and you're groaning about the things that, 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 of God that are being plowed over. You need, to un, you need to understand, show them why it's important to do it God's way. There's not, there's not a shortcut around it. There's not, a, there's not a better way than God's way. We need to understand that and live that out so that people see that. And that question I asked earlier, where's my heart at? Is the heart to follow and serve and love God? Is it that heart of flesh that beats for Him? Today, as we do every other Sunday. We're going to give you the invitation. Adam's going to come up, prepare. We're going to sing, Have Thine Own Way. And, and it's a song that says what? Have thine own way, Lord. And are you willing to put your life as a piece of clay into God's hands and have Him mold you? Most of us have been working on the clay ourselves. And we've been trying to make something beautiful out of our life. God has better designs for your life than even you do. We need to allow Him to do that. And so today, if you need to get your heart straight, if you need to, you need to repent because you're not groaning, if you want to come and pray, for our, our church, if you want to pray for our leadership, if you want to pray for somebody that you know is lost, just come and pray. When you come and pray, I'm going to come and pray. I, not, I won't come and pray with you, but I will be praying with you knowing that you were moved by God to pray. And so it's okay that not everything's okay because the only way things get better is when we bring it to God. And if by all means you are here and do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are not marked with the blood of Christ. The only thing that awaits you is separation from God for eternity. Let's fix that today. Let's come, come down and talk to me and ask me what is it that I need to do that I might be saved. That I might need, that I might have eternal life. There may be somebody with you that can answer that question. But reach out. <clears throat> Don't be afraid to ask that question. It's the most important question you can ask, and it's the most important thing that I can share. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for your word. Father, the scripture is is so pardon the expression, wild in, in what I see. And Father, so humbling and so, um, so moving. Father, I pray that you would move us to a better relationship with you. To a relationship with you, Father, for those that do not know you. Father, we would seek to, to quit putting our trust in the wrong places. And Father, to seek you out. In Jesus' name.
you for joining us. You guys take a seat here. I'm going to wave goodbye to the people online. Here's what we're going to do for the Have You Read in Chile online people. This, And this is what we're asking you to read along. We'll do the videos on Wednesday. And just enjoy God's Word and learn more about the one who loves you the most. Thank you.